Welcome to PodClass. PodClass is a podcast from the Center for Visual Culture and Media Studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. In PodClass, I play a podcast that a student has submitted to my class, and uh, you get to reap the benefits of listening to it. In this episode, you'll hear Megan Burns' story of an ice pick. Just a few hours east, in a small town off the Wabash River, lies an old ice company. Opened around 1854, Ebner Ice Company in Vincennes, Indiana, supplied ice cut straight from the Wabash River. The company itself was placed next to a railway. They would cut the ice and then they would ship it out to nearby towns. In 1889, the company began manufacturing ice and was likely the first in the state of Indiana to do so. According to several sources, up to that point, cities and towns relied on ice cut during the winter months from the lakes and ponds, which was then stored in sawdust and to be used in the summer months. But once the ice was cut into larger chunks and taken into the homes, it had to be cut into smaller pieces. And this is where the ice pick came into use. But that was not the only use. They were also used in medical practices, some successful and some not so much. Hi, I'm Megan Burns, and this is Design Thinking. It's hard to imagine, but in a time before ice machines that dispensed perfectly shaped cubes at the press of a button, people had to chop their own ice. While the ice pick, I'm sure, has been around much longer, the name came around 1860. It looked much like a screwdriver with a handle on one end and a metal rod with a sharp pointed end. In an ice box, which was the original refrigerator, the top portion was a compartment for a large chunk of ice that would keep the things below it cold. When you wanted some ice for your drink, you would get your ice pick out and break off small pieces for your glass. Ice picks didn't last long into the 1900s, though. In 1922, one refrigerator, or at the time, icebox manufacturer, came out with a model that had a wooden cabinet, a water-cooled compressor, two ice cube trays, and nine cubic feet of storage. By the 1930s, many had electric freezers with ice cube compartments built in. Then, around the 1950s, the automatic ice machine became a feature in many refrigerators. By this time, there was no more need for the ice pick. But in their peak, ice picks were as common of household items as a spoon or as a drinking glass. Because of this, many companies came out with their own ice picks for sale. Most popular was Coca-Cola. If you look online for an antique ice pick, the majority of your results will be Coca-Cola brand, with a few local ice companies mixed in. As time progressed, they actually added bottle openers to the opposite end of the ice pick. Coca-Cola's slogan to market their ice picks was, Serve Ice Cold. In Fort Madison, Iowa, Artesian Ice Company sold these premium ice picks with the bottle opener combination tools, for a whole 10 cents. This price was etched directly into the metal handle. Now, this was in 1915, when 10 cents was around what we would pay $11 now. But, needless to say, it was still an affordable household necessity. Much like a pen or a stress ball today, 
Ice picks were used as a form of advertisement. A company would paint their name and slogan onto the wooden handle. Ice picks came in many sizes, and as they grew in popularity, they also grew in style. While the original ice picks had a wooden handle and a single pointed end, some later ice picks had the same handle but with multiple curved ends, looking more like a mini rake than a screwdriver. Others came with matching plastic cases or with different sized and shaped handles. But no matter the shape, they all had one thing in common. They were all meant to chop ice. But like many designed objects, the ice pick wasn't always used for ice. Being a sharp object, ice picks were frequently used as a murder weapon on more occasion than one, but sometimes the fatalities were more of an accident. There were two famous murders to use an ice pick, the first being a famous mafia hitman around the 1930s, Abraham Reels, aka Kid Twist. Then, in the same group, Murder Incorporated, Harry Strauss, aka Pittsburgh Phil, also used an ice pick as his weapon of choice. But more recently than that, in Canada on May 25th of 2012, an 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was uploaded to an online website. The video showed a naked man tied to a bed frame being repeatedly stabbed with an ice pick. The killer then used a knife to cut off bits of the body and feed it to his dog. He then mailed the hands and feet to elementary schools. The killer was later identified as Luca Magnota, and the victim was a foreign exchange student at his school. If you search hard enough, you can still find the video online today. In the year 1936, a neurologist, Walter Freeman, saw a need. At this point in time, mental asylums were becoming hard to handle, and mental disorders were hard to treat. The lobotomy was a frequent solution. Doctors would crack open the skull and sever any ties between the frontal lobes and the thalamus. While this seemed decently effective, Dr. Freeman thought of an even more efficient way. Taking an ice pick from his very own kitchen, he stuck it into the tear duct of a patient's eye, hard enough to make it through the skull and right into the frontal lobe. He then, for a lack of better words, used the ice pick to scramble their brain. This sounds absurd to us, but in the time, it was revolutionary. Some call this the ice pick lobotomy. He traveled in what he called his lobotomobile, training others and charging mere $25 a patient. 
He fit in as many lobotomies as he possibly could at each of his stops. Now, mind you, he of course did not have his patients on any kind of medicine or anesthesia, but sometimes started the procedure with a round of electroshock therapy. Among his over 3,000 patients, there were at least 19 children, one as young as four years old. The results of the ice pick lobotomy varied very widely. Some just lost general functionability, such as the ability to use the restroom or eat by themselves. Some relapsed and repeated the lobotomy. Around 15% of patients, though, died either during the procedure or shortly after. In 1951, in mid-lobotomy, Freeman posed for a picture, accidentally lodging the ice pick a bit too far, killing his patient. All part of the job, I guess. While we don't perform ice pick lobotomies today or even use them for their design purpose, they can still be purchased. But they have also evolved into what is now known as the ice axe. This is commonly used by mountain climbers to keep their footing on slippery slopes. If you are interested, you can find an original style ice pick on Amazon from anywhere between $5 and $20. They are still popularly used by bartenders often for the sake of the appearance of fancy drinks. But if you are ever out and about and come across an antique ice pick, take a second to appreciate our technological advances and maybe even more importantly, our medical advances. This episode of Design Thinking was written for COM315 and was written and recorded by me, Megan Burns. You've been listening to Pod Class a podcast from the Center for Visual Culture and Media Studies at Greenville University. You can find more of our podcasts at soundcloud.com slash medialabgu.